better for her. Do it better for her. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you very much. We can please take our seats. I want to say thank you to Pastor for this opportunity to thank the leaders and then the entire church. I'm so grateful and I don't take this opportunity lightly. Thank you so much. Today, we are going to talk about your health, your responsibility. Your health, your responsibility. I'm going to give a few definitions. I'll go into the dimensions of health and well-being. We'll talk about the components of a healthy life, let you know a few lifestyle diseases, how to prevent or manage them, and then give a few tips for healthy living. At the end of the presentation or the talk, my objectives are to help us understand health and healthy lifestyle, to outline the various dimensions and components of a healthy lifestyle, what, to know what lifestyle diseases are and how they can be prevented and to provide tips for healthy lifestyle. I have a few questions here for reflection. So, my first question, what does health mean to you? How important is your health to you? What are some of your healthy habits? Which dimensions of wellness do you need to work on to stay healthy? Being healthy is our responsibility and it's even the desire of God that we should be healthy. Third John 1 verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So even in the word of God, being in good health is important. There is a narrow perspective of health and then there is the broad definition of health. With the narrow perspective is the dictionary definition. It says health is a state of being free from sickness, injury or disease, or any bodily condition. But when we talk about the broad perspective, it's one that has been adopted by the World Health Organization. And according to them, it is defined as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. This is to say that the fact that probably somebody may be in a wheelchair or may, be, may not be having a disease does not mean that the person is well. And we'll be taking a look at the reasons why they are like that. I will stress on the physical, mental, and then the social well-being. When we say physical well-being, it has to do with behavior choices that ensure good health. 
behaviors that enable us to avoid preventable diseases and conditions in order that we may live in a balanced body, mind, and then spirit. When we talk about mental well-being, it's a state which enables individuals to realize their abilities, enables coping with stresses. Stresses are a normal part of life, but if you are not able to cope well with the stresses, then you are not well. So in order for us to have mental well-being, we should be able to develop coping mechanisms that can help us cope with stress properly, such that we can work well and be productive or fruitful and contribute to society. When it comes to social well-being, it's having a sense of belonging. It has to do with interpersonal relationship, the way you relate with your family, your wife, your husband, your children, your colleagues at work, all these come under social well-being. So what the World Health Organization is saying is that this physical, mental, and social well-being, it should be holistic. It should be all round. Then we can say we are well. My next definition is healthy lifestyle. When I say healthy lifestyle, what am I talking about? It is the various steps, actions, and strategies that you have to put in place so that you can be able to live a life that is healthy. So when we say healthy lifestyle, you, it will be running through the presentation. Living a healthy lifestyle is about taking responsibility for your health and then making smart health choices for today and the future. When I say smart health choices, what am I talking about? I'm talking about, I know most of us or all of us are aware of smart choices, but when it comes to health too, we need to make smart health choices. And when I say smart, I'm talking about specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-bound actions and steps and strategies that you will put in place to make sure that you are living a healthy lifestyle. Let me give an example. Let's say I've put on so much weight and I want to lose weight. Then I tell, um, let's say my husband that by the end of next month, I am going to lose 10 kilograms of weight. It is not realistic. How can I lose 10 kilograms of weight? Somebody may think I'm sick or there's something wrong with me. So if I want to lose weight, I have to say that, oh, maybe in the next six months to one year, I want to lose 10 kilogram weight. What are the steps that I'm going to take? I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to exercise. And I will set my goals. And I'll make sure that these are goals that I can achieve. And my time bound, it being time bound is the six months to one year. So that when I say I am doing this, I can be accountable. I can make sure that I have achieved my goal. Risk factors is another definition. And these are different types of actions or conditions that increases a person's chances of developing a disease or illness. When we talk about risk factors, you can be predisposed to something, 
but it is this risk factors that will let you maybe uh, have that condition or illness that you are predisposed to. Some of the risk factors could be smoking. Smoking can predispose you to getting lung cancer. Alcohol in excess can predispose you to liver damage. Unprotected sex can predispose you to STIs, HIV, and then AIDS. And then obesity can predispose you to heart diseases. So when I talk about risk factors, these are the things that we end up doing, the action and the choices that may lead to illness or diseases. There are different dimensions of well-being, and I'm going to be talking about them shortly. We have emotional well-being. And all these dimensions of well-being have to come together such that we can say you are well. So when we talk about emotional well-being, we are referring to your ability to generate emotions that will lead to good feelings, your ability to be confident, your ability to be resilient, having good self-esteem, being understanding and respecting the rights of others, and then being able to deal with stressful situations. We have environmental well-being. Environmental well-being begins with your immediate surroundings, how you can have a safe environment, how you can be protected in the environment in which you are in, and then it should be comfortable and healthy. So when we talk about environmental well-being, this is what's we are talking about. There is one other one that some may not even know. It's financial well-being. How can we be financially well? Handling finances wisely and meeting present and future needs to the extent that you can be satisfied. Sometimes, uh, the Bible says money answereth all things. Sometimes, you may not know that money can make someone sick, but sometimes when people don't have money in their pocket, they are not happy. They are not excited. Wait, when payday comes, you see the, the excitement, or when they get money, you see that it's as if something is wrong with them. The next minute, they are well. An example, I'll use my workplace as an example. I hope there is nobody here who knows anybody in my workplace. Well, when there is no money in the system and it's not payday. People keep coming to the clinic. They keep coming. They are sick, my back, my body, muzzle ache, this, that. But the day that it is payday, the clinic is normally empty. Why? Because money has come, strength has come, health has come. So your ability to control, to have control over your day-to-day -day finances your ability to have some money that will cushion you when there are financial emergencies. And then being out of debt and being able to manage your expenses appropriately. And then being on track to meet your retirement and saving goals. This is what we refer to as financial well-being. There is another dimension that we call the intellectual well-being. 
expanding your knowledge and skills and then growing potentially, being able to think critically and be creative, being curious, wanting to learn new things and taking up new challenges to challenge your mind. This is what we call intellectual well-being. I have a friend who I keep posting her her manners on points etiquette. It's a school she has formed. During the COVID era, she decided to do this online course. She took up a new challenge. She was able to be creative, challenge her mind. Now she's all out and people are paying for her services. She has to go to work organizations to go and talk to them about etiquette. And you realize that it is fulfilling. Intellectually, she's done something with her time that has brought about well-being. We talk about occupational well-being. One may ask, occupational well-being, do we have occupational well-being? Yes, we have occupational well-being. It is using your skills and talent to work such that you can have satisfaction or fulfillment. You'll be amazed that there are people, when they have to wake up to go to work, it's like, oh God, do I have to go to work today too? I wish I was not going to work. I'm tired. It tells you you are not probably probably enjoying the work you are doing. There are some people who have gone into certain profession for different reasons. But it is not because that is their God-given talent or they have the desire to do that work because of probably a course they took in school. So it's like they are not fulfilled. Why do I have to do this work all my life? They keep asking themselves, do I have to do this work all my life? So in the next 20 years, I'll be doing this work. Then it means that satisfaction is not there. That ability to be fulfilled occupationally is not there. I've said earlier about social well-being, which has to do with good interpersonal relationships with your family and friends, you know, your children, your work colleagues and all that, and then being able to communicate effectively and have good communication skills as well. So that is the social well-being. We'll come to physical well-being. Lifestyle choices that promote health like exercising, eating well, practicing safe sex, not doing dangerous activities. I don't know how many of you heard about the racing between a Camry car and a Benz, and then they ended up killing people on a pavement. Unfortunately, my uncle was part. May his soul rest in peace. So they ended up killing people on a pavement. That is a dangerous activity. So if you are to engage in a physical well-being, it shouldn't be activities that will cause harm to you. Sometimes in your environment, you may see kids, their parents have allowed them, they are skating. And you know that where they are skating is dangerous. It can harm them. So when we talk about physical well-being, we are talking about doing things, but don't do activities that are dangerous to your physical health or fitness. Then we'll come to spiritual well-being. It's having a sense of purpose. 
and meaning in life. Knowing that we are spirit beings, your ability to grow spiritually, have compassion, have the spirit of forgiveness, being caring and loving, all these things make up our spirit beings, make us our spiritual well-being. Having or being able to connect with our maker. So that is what we do here all Sundays. That is spiritual well-being. There are components of a healthy lifestyle. I'll run through them and then I'll come and give the tips after I have spoken about the lifestyle diseases. The components of a healthy lifestyle is good nutrition, regular physical exercise. When I say good nutrition, I'm talking about a good nutrition where you can have meals that are balanced, that are from the six food groups. So in their right proportions, that is good nutrition. It's not every nutrition that is good. Regular physical exercise. It's not when I decide to lose weight this whole month, then I decide I'm going to do some dieting, exercise vigorously for a month, then by next month I am tired, then I stop exercising. No, we are talking about regular physical exercise. Then another component of a healthy lifestyle is good sleep. Most of the time, due to distance, places we work, we are not able to have quality or good sleep. At the end of the day, we are causing our bodies harm, but we don't even know it. When you sleep between the hours of uh, 9 and 2 p.m., so which means by now you are supposed to be asleep, everyone or each of us are supposed to sleep at least eight hours for an adult. If you, you, you sleep around that time, your body produces melanin, and melatonin, rather, sorry. And it helps in regeneration of cells. But most of the time, some of us sleep very late. It has become a habit. So having good sleep, we'll talk about it, and I'll give tips on it. Then we'll talk about stress management. As I said earlier, Stress has become a part of our daily living. Stress cannot be overlooked. It cannot be avoided. But the truth of the matter is that it can be coped with. So you can cope with stress. You don't have to get overwhelmed with the stresses of life. You need to be able to know what your coping mechanisms are and how you can go about it. Then we have healthy sexual practices. Healthy sexual practices. This one, I think I will shift it to the younger ones. Healthy sexual practices. Or maybe some adults too. It is important to practice safe sex because gone are the days you hear STI, STD, STI, STD. Now it's as if they are not there. But when you are part of a clinic or a hospital that runs medical exams, you will know that these conditions, even syphilis, they still exist. So it is important that we practice healthy sexual lifestyles. I'll get to the tips. Now, I'm moving on to lifestyle diseases. Lifestyle diseases. 
These are diseases that can result from unhealthy lifestyle choices that we make on a day-to-day basis. And you see, before anything builds up and becomes a problem, it starts gradually, it starts slowly, then it keeps building up. So some of the choices that we make that we don't even know that there are consequences, they end up later on in life giving giving us diseases. I will start with overweight and then obesity. Overweight and obesity. Someone will say, as Ghanaian women, most of the time it's we the women that put on. As Ghanaian women, body means that you are living in good health and that you are well. But the issue here is that being overweight and then being obese can bring about diseases like hypertension, high cholesterol, type 2 diabetes, heart diseases. Obesity can bring about those things. What do I mean by being overweight? There is a calculation that we do called the BMI, your body mass index. When we calculate your weight in kilograms over your height in meters squared, we are supposed to get your BMI. If it happens that your BMI is 25 or below, praise God, you are okay. You are within the normal range. If it so happens that you go above 90, um, 25, sorry, you go above 25 till 30, you are overweight. From 30 and above, you are obese. And with the obesity, you'll be rated mild moderate or severe. So it's important that we get to know our weight. Yes, sometimes most people giving birth will make you put on, but the conscious effort, the day-to-day choices should be that eventually, realistically, time-bound, you will get to your normal or ideal weight. Our next lifestyle disease, There are so many lifestyle diseases, but these are the very common ones. The next one is hypertension. Hypertension, another name we call it in our field, is silent killer. Why do we say hypertension is a silent killer? The truth of the matter is, it will not knock on your door and say, I am coming. By the time you realize, it is there. And why is it there? It is because of the lifestyle choices that we make. The time that hypertension will give you a sign and a symptom that I have arrived, it may have caused damage to organs or it would have gone a bit too far to be controlled. So, when we say hypertension, what do we mean? It is having your blood pressure above the normal. What is the normal? If your blood pressure is too high, such that it goes above the normal, The normal, when I say even the normal, is the normal average, which is 120, 80. Anything below 120, 80, so let's say from 100 to 120 for the top one, and then for the lower one from 60 to 80 is the average normal. Now, let me explain how we get those two figures. The heart contracts and relaxes. When the heart contracts, it 
pushes blood to all the other parts of the body. When it relaxes, the blood returns back to the heart. So when it contracts, we have the systolic, which is the top figure. When it relaxes, we have the diastolic, which is the down figure. So it should be an average of 120, 80. 140, 90 is considered prehypertension, no, borderline, sorry. Prehypertension is between that 120 to 139, and then the lower one between the 80 and 89. That is the prehypertension. And the borderline hypertension is the 140-90. Now, when you go above that, the threshold of 140-90, then we will rate you mild, moderate, or severe. So, I have mentioned prehypertension, mild, moderate, and severe hypertension. There are some risk that's, or risk factors that progresses that we can slow them down. We have the risk called the modifiable risk and the non-modifiable risk. And when we say the modifiable risk factors, it slows down the progression of the disease or it can reverse it or alter it. And it can only happen if you make the right choices. Then we have the non-modifiable risk that you can't do anything or you can't do much about them. Let's say age, as you grow, your BP can decide to go up. So blood pressure increases by a certain millimeter mercury as you age. Gender, men are more predisposed to it. That's what studies have shown. And then hereditary factors, it runs in the family. What at all can you do about it? Yours is to try to make healthy lifestyle choices to probably delay it or minimize its complications in your life. So the next thing I'll be talking about, the next lifestyle disease I'll talk about is dyslipidemia. You may have heard it, but the um, scientific name or the way we call it in my field is dyslipidemia. You go to the doctor, run your test, then they say there is a lot of fat in your blood. They say, hey, my cholesterol are cost My cholesterol are cost Cholesterol and triglycerides, the two of them, one or both, can give you dyslipidemia. Cholesterols are supposed to be used to build cells and certain hormones in the body. But if it ends up going up too high, you will start to be at risk of certain conditions. What happens when cholesterol or fat builds up in us? They are in the blood. And once they are in the blood, they start attaching themselves to blood vessel walls, the arteries, they will attach themselves to it. And then they cause the arteries to harden because it's supposed to be elastic, such that when blood is pumping, it flows through it. So for instance, you have water hose, then you put one hand inside the water hose tube and you open the tap. Look at the pressure with which it will force itself to come out. 
that is what happens when fat deposits of cholesterol are attached to the blood walls. They stiffen the walls of the blood vessels and then make it difficult for blood to flow through them. I will come back to it when we are talking about heart diseases. What is the normal total cholesterol? What is, what is the range? How is it supposed to be? When you check the cholesterol, it, we do a test called the lipid profile. When the lipid profile is done, the range should be 5.2 or below. So anything 5.2 or less, even 5.2, you're on the borderline or less, it is normal. If it goes above that, then you are heading for trouble. There are two types of cholesterol. What we call the bad cholesterol, which is the LDL, low density lipoprotein. That is the bad cholesterol. But it should always be below 3.4. If you check your LDL, because when you do a total cholesterol, it gives you total cholesterol, LDL, HDL, triglycerides. So if you do the check and it is below 3.4, you are fine. But if you do and it is above, you have to start checking your cholesterol. The high-density lipoprotein, which is the HDL, is a good cholesterol. And that cholesterol in men is supposed to be above 1.0. In women, it's supposed to be above 1.3. So if you are within that range, you are covered. So I said the other fats that is in the blood is called the triglycerides. This is what the doctors will use to calculate your coronary heart risk. Your ability to develop, let's say, a heart disease stroke or heart attack. And that is the triglycerides. It is the most common type of fat in the blood. It is stored in fat cells and released as energy in between meals. So when you eat carbohydrates, what happens is that the body will not need all the carbohydrates. So it will store the rest as fat in cells. So that whenever you are hungry, then the, the, it will release that fat to give you energy. So if you end up eating too much carbohydrates, and you know that in our part of the world, our food is carbohydrate protein. The majority is the carbohydrates. So if you eat too much carbohydrates, what happens is that it, it turns into more fat. So someone who eats more carbohydrates is likely to have more of the triglycerides being high in the blood. The normal level of triglycerides may vary according to the age and the sex of a person. The normal should be less than 1.7 millimole. And as I said earlier, these are the ones that can cause the atherosclerosis, which is the hardening of the arteries that may bring about heart diseases. So that brings me to my next lifestyle disease called the coronary heart disease. It is the most common type of heart disease. 
and this has to do with damage or disease in the heart's major blood vessels due to buildup of plaques, which is the fat that I have spoken about, causing the arteries to narrow and then limiting blood flow to the heart. And sometimes for some people, it can even cut the blood supply to the heart. And what happens? Heart attack will occur, death will occur. So as much as possible, cholesterol can lead to this condition. Though it cannot be cured, treatments include, include lifestyle changes, which we call modification of lifestyle. Some of the risk uh, of heart, coronary heart diseases are hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, high triglycerides, smoking, alcohol abuse. Those are some of the things that can result in this coronary heart disease. But if you are able to modify lifestyle, reduce weight, eat balanced meal, exercise, the risk will reduce. Now, my next is the STI, STD, including HIV. We have the gonorrhea, the syphilis. All these are sexually transmitted infections. And as we all know, we've heard so much about these things. Now, they are not too common to hear in the system, but they still exist. We have people coming with to the clinic with such conditions. Some have signs and symptoms. Some will not have it. Some will run medical exams before you realize that they have a sexually transmitted infection. So the infection, when we talk about STI or STD, this is infection that is transmitted through sexual contact, either caused by a bacteria a virus, or a parasite. We have the HPV, which is the human papilloma virus, which, is, which causes a lot of cervical cancers. And we have, and this one is caused by, you see it in the form of watts, depending on which part of the body it is. We have the genital herpes, which causes genital pains and then sores. We have chlamydia, that may not have symptoms, so you may not even know. And then we have syphilis, and it can start with a painless sore. And syphilis is very dangerous because it ends up even affecting bones and all those things. And then we have the gonorrhea, which is a bacteria infection. And the seriousness of this one is that it can cause infertility if not treated. And if there's, uh, let's say, a pregnant woman has STI. What happens is it can affect the eye of the child. And we have the HIV and AIDS, where your immunity is reduced such that you cannot be able, your body cannot be able to fight off diseases anymore. So it, your body, the disease will progress from HIV and then go to AIDS. So these are the diseases of sexually transmitted infections. Diabetes mellitus, we call it for short, DM. 
There are different types of diabetes mellitus, but the one I'm going to talk about most, I'll tell you the difference, is the type two. We have type one, we have type two, we have pre-diabetes, we have gestational diabetes, which has to do with a pregnant, someone who is pregnant, maybe normally if you are overweight before you get pregnant, then around 24 to 28 weeks, your sugar rises, maybe you go and do your normal check, then the doctor will say, oh, your blood sugar is high. That is not what I'm going to talk about. We have the pre-diabetes where your sugar is high in the blood, but not enough for you to be diagnosed as being a diabetic. Then we have the type one, where the pancreas produces little or no insulin. So your pancreas, which is the organ that produces the insulin, may produce little or no insulin at all. So the sugar is in the blood. They are attached to your hemoglobin, which is your blood cells. Then what happens? There's so much sugar in your system. And then the doctors will say, oh, you are diabetic or you have diabetes. That type 2 also is, affects the way the, the insulin may be produced, but your, your body may not be able to, it may not be able to absorb the sugar in your system. And this could be due to genetic factors or lifestyle factors. And I've spoken about lifestyle choices enough. So if diabetes develops, the sugar will be circulating in your blood. And there will be a few tests that the doctor will do to know that your sugar has gone up. We have the fasting blood glucose. We have the uh, fasting plasma glucose. And then we have the HbA1c. The HbA1c is the one that the doctor can would do and then it will give an average over a period of three months. So sometimes at the workplace, some people don't know that they are going to do HbA1c. So what they do is the day before they are coming, they will not eat as usual. But meanwhile, like we have people who are who come for their routine drugs, they will not take medication, they will not do this, they will not do that, and they feel that oh, when they come and check. Oh, because I didn't eat the whole of yesterday. When I come and check it to be normal, it will date back three months. So if you have been able to control it, even in your home, the doctor will be able to know that you have done that. When we check the HbA1c, it should be 5.7 or less. Then you are normal. If it's 5.7 and above, it is pre diabetes. If it's 6.5 and above, the doctor will say you are diabetic. There are some signs and symptoms of the diabetes, which is excessive test, increased urination, you are urinating frequently. Small time you are thirsty, you will drink water, you are hungry, you keep eating. Some could be unexplained weight loss. All of a sudden, you are losing weight. And they are, oh, what's wrong with you? Are they, oh, you're so, there's nothing wrong with me, oh, but you're losing weight. Some too could be blurred vision. So it's 
depends on every individual and the way it presents itself. We have prevention of lifestyle diseases. How can we prevent these lifestyle diseases? Or how can we modify our lifestyle? To prevent them, it is advised that you do yearly medical exams. And these are supposed to be routine medical exams that you will be doing. But people tend to forget. How am I supposed to remember that this year I did it around this time or we did it at the workplace? Oh, I can't even remember. So the best thing, what we do at my place is when it is your birthday, you do medical exams. So every year, you know that when I celebrate my birthday, I am doing medical exams. The medical exams that you do yearly helps the doctors to monitor you so that in case something has started that you don't even know, they can identify it. Oh, maybe your cholesterol has gone up. Then you work on it, bring it down. Maybe your BP is going up. Then you start exercising, eating well, bring it down. So at the end of the day, if there is anything, they can detect it early. And when you detect it early, it's easier to treat or reverse. So it is important to have medical exams done. They will do abdominal scans for you. They will do ECG to check the condition of your heart. They will do the blood profile to check your cholesterol level, your liver function, your kidney, and all those things. They will do all those things. So when you walk into any clinic or hospital that I'm coming to do medical exams, all these tests will be outlined and done for you. Another way is the uh, screening. Sometimes they, they, are, they are screening at certain vantage places. Here, though, this hospital, there will be a screening program. They are going to screen for uh, breast cancer. Normally in October, breast awareness. Then we take advantage of that. Because most of the time, when there are screenings, there's maybe uh, Horeb Temple has organized a, a screening for the community. People come and check their BP. Then they realize that my BP has gone up. Oh. Then you'll be referred quickly to the hospital. So it's important to engage in this screening activities. There are other tests that we can do, especially for women. We have the pap smear. The pap smear will check whether the human papilloma virus is present or there is any other thing that can bring you diseases like the cervical cancer. And the men too, the prostate enlargement, because of that, if you are above 40 years, they will let you do a PSA, which is the prostate-specific antigen. So when they check it, it should be below four. If you are above four, mm, there's a problem. Further investigations will be done. So all these things for early detection and then treatment. And another way we can protect ourselves or prevent some of these diseases, some of the diseases, not all, is vaccination. So there is vaccination against hepatitis, there is vaccination for cervical cancer, and I will encourage all of us here, there is vaccination for coronavirus. It is not going to prevent you from catching coronavirus, but should you catch coronavirus, the effects will be minimal on you. So it is important we take advantage of it. 
It is also important that if you want to prevent diseases, you talk to your professional when you notice unusual, unusual changes in your body. Let's say one day you get up, mm, you feel something, you say, oh, there's a lamp here or a mass somewhere in your body. You should talk to your health professional immediately. Don't say, oh, this one is nothing. It will go. Talk to them. Let them assess you to see what it is for early detection and treatment. And it is important that we maintain a healthy weight. And then there should be regular or physical, a regular physical activity. And then there should be healthy sexual habits. And then it's also important to prevent lifestyle diseases due to the stresses all around us. It is important that you take a vacation. Sometimes maybe it can be with you and your wife. Sometimes it can be with you and your children. But it is important that yearly you put vacation somewhere so that you go for a hideout. Nobody will see you for two, three days. You refresh yourself, you come back, and then life goes on. Now I'm coming to my tips on nutrition. We have good nutrition. As I said earlier, it is good nutrition. Not every nutrition is good. It is important to eat at least three meals a day. If you want to eat three meals a day and it's just you are sticking to the three meals, morning, afternoon, evening, it's fine. But between 6 and 8 a.m., you should have had your breakfast. As they say, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. You have fasted all night. In the morning, your body needs rejuvenation. It needs energy. So please give your body some energy to start working efficiently in the morning. If you want to eat your lunch by 2 p.m., you should have finished with your lunch. So between 12 and 2. And then your supper could be before 7 before seven. There are some people who snack in between meals. So if you have this time span or time limits for your eating, then you can put your snacking around, let's say, 10, 10, 30 a.m. That should be about two hours or two and a half hours after your meal, or that's breakfast, or two and a half hours after your lunch. And when we say snacking, you should snack in moderation. One of the things I want us to understand is meat pie and malt or meat pie and yogurt is not a snack. It's a whole meal. So don't mistake meat pie and yogurt for a snack. It is a whole meal. The calories in there is high. When I talk about snack, I am talking about one single apple two fingers of banana or maybe 12 counts of grapes. Those are snacks. Or sometimes granites. You take and you drink water. But if you do the meat pie with all the trans-saturated fats in them, it is no more a snack. It's a meal. The food you are eating should be from all the food groups. It should be rich in carbohydrates, protein, minerals, vitamins. You should be, it should be from all the food groups. So the vegetables should also be there. 
So you should have a portion size of food. Amazingly, the way we eat, we are forced to eat more than our body requires. So, for instance, you buy a takeaway pack, we are forced to eat all the takeaway pack because we bought it. So we should finish the food in the pack. But it becomes too much for the body. Then your triglycerides levels keep going up and you may not even know it. So portion sizes should be controlled. And you make sure that your plate looks colorful. Into vegetable, kakra, carbohydrates, meats, uh-huh. then your water is there. And... You should avoid overcooking your food. Sometimes the Ghanaian way of cooking will cheat tomatoes. By the time we finish, there is no nutrients left in the food. So we should avoid overcooking the food. However, your meat should be properly cooked. So you should not eat meat that is raw or uncooked. Because if you do that, you are predisposing yourself to worms. So it's important to cook your meat properly. It is also important to drink water, enough water a day, about three to four liters a day. It is important to drink water. And sometimes some people are not used to drinking water. I am not used to drinking water. I'm a culprit. So this is what I have done. I have a water drinking app on my phone. So when the time is up for me to drink water, then you hear the sound as if water is being poured. Then I remember, oh, I have to go and drink water. Then I quickly go to the dispenser, fetch my water and drink. So that is how you can ensure that you are drinking enough water. Food supplements are also important or necessary at times. It's not in all cases. If you feel you are stressed, you are not taking, you are not eating properly, you are not eating a balanced meal, then you should be able to take food supplements to support your eating. But once you resume proper eating, you can stop it. So you ensure fruits and vegetables are taken on daily basis. Eat everything in moderation. Anything in excess is bad for your health. You know what Proverbs 10 verse 1 says. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. The same applies in health. If you don't do things in moderation, you may end up risking your health. You must limit the consumption of sugar and sugar-based beverages. The fruit juices, the canned drinks, the fizzy drinks, all the drinks that we take has so much sugar in it that you cannot quantify the amount of sugar. So once you are not able to quantify the sugar you are taking in that, you should limit its intake. I'm not saying you should stop it completely, but limit its intake then you must cut down fats and oils, trans fats. Now KFC uh, and the others, they are trying to kill us because 
they use transfers. All the processed foods and things, the pieces, there's so much transfers in it. There's so much hydrogenated oils in them. And these are fats that go to build up in our arteries because those fats, they will not melt away. So it is important that we limit or cut down these fats and oils. And then we have to limit the intake of calories, irrespective of the source. Someone will say, oh, banana. So banana also has calories. Or say where there are fruits. Then eating a whole bunch of banana, you have to take just two because there's a lot of calories in it. And we have to reduce the intake of sodium. There is something we call sedentary lifestyle. A lifestyle that involves little or no physical activity. So if you are here, you go to the office in the morning, you sit down throughout the day, you don't engage in any activity, then there is a problem. Then you are engaging in sedentary lifestyle. Some people can sit on their couch the whole day or lie on their bed the whole day because there is no school or because they don't have anywhere going. Then it's socializing. What's happening ah, throughout the day? Watching TV, playing video games, being behind the computer for much of the day. This is a sedentary lifestyle. If you are not engaging yourself in any activity, your blood circulation slows down. You may not know it, but you've not moved your joints. You've not moved your body. You need to be active. Your heart gets pumping, but as you are lying down, your circulation slows down. It will bring your ability to burn calories to a halt. So at the end of the day, you've eaten, you sat down, you ate your pizza, you took your Coke, but you have not burnt any single calorie. And then what will end up happening is you are weakening your bones, you are weakening your muscles. So it is important to be active. So this will bring me to physical exercise, regular physical exercise. You, we need to exercise at least 30 minutes a day, four times in a week. Exercise is not something that you can jump and start. Giddy, giddy, giddy. I'm exercising. You're on treadmill one hour. No. Or you hit the gym and you exercise for like an hour or two and then you come home. Exercise has to be started gradually. And then as you progress, you can increase the pace of the exercise and the time. Exercises can be categorized according to our ages. As we are growing, you don't need vigorous exercise. What you need is walks, brisk walking. If you are younger, you can do jogging, running, skipping. Because you see, as you are growing, your bones are no more as strong as you used to be. So skipping ropes, jumping, you put weights on your knees or on your bones. And you may end up injuring yourself. So it is important to find out the exercises that can help you depending on your age. But one of the things I'll tell you for, for sure is you can never go wrong with brisk walking. And once you make it a part of your daily lifestyle, you are good to go. Some too like to dance as a form of exercise and then learn things like tennis, volleyball, and other things. They are also forms of exercises. 
There are benefits of exercise. It, it improves memory and brain function across all age groups. It aids in weight management. It improves heart health and lowers blood pressure. It reduces feelings of anxieties and depression and improves overall mental health. The truth of the matter is if you exercise, certain chemicals and hormones are produced. They make you happy. They make you excited and make you confident. So it is important to be exercising regularly. And if you exercise, you will improve the quality of your sleep and then you can reduce the risk of heart diseases. Good sleep. Sometimes it is important to know that we have to have a good sleep or it's necessary to have a good sleep. When you have a good sleep, it provides your, it helps your body to heal tissues. There is regeneration of new cells. You are able to rest your brain. You, it boosts your immune system and allows you to think clearly. And it is, reduces your risk of depression. So it's like once you sleep and you wake up, you bounce back. You are rejuvenated. You gain some strength. So good sleep is very important. So some of the tips for a good sleep is you have to sleep, have a sleep schedule that you can stick to. So if you know that, oh, I close from work, I will not get to work early. Okay, there are days I will go to church. So it's not that today I will sleep at 7. Then tomorrow I am sleeping at 9. Then I will sleep at 12. There should be a routine that you should follow. So if you, are, if you realize that I'll come to church and we'll close at 8.30 or I'll get home late, what you need to do is you can peg your sleeping time to, let's say, around 9 so that you make sure that between that time you, you can calculate and get, let's say, 7 minimum to 8 hours of sleep at night. And the environment that you are sleeping in should be comfortable and then restful. Sometimes you are tired. Maybe you're, you, you've... You are working. You wanted to put up your room, tidy up. You couldn't say, it doesn't matter. Let me sleep in it like that. You may not be able to have a good sleep. It is important for your room to be comfortable, clean, and tidy so that you can sleep. Or you need to reduce nap times during the daytime. You need to have physical activities to add to your daily routines. And you should stop worrying. And then you must pay attention to what you eat before bedtime. If you eat too much before bedtime, the possibility that you will not have good sleep is high. So don't eat too close to bedtime and don't exercise too close to bedtime. When it comes to stress management, we need to avoid caffeine. We need to reduce alcohol. Alcohol, uh, like red wine, they say is good for the heart, but the possibility of becoming addicted to it is high. So... If it depends on you, if you can take it in moderation and it is controlled, fine. But at the end of the day, I'm talking from the health perspective. If you can't and you know that you may end up taking it in excess, you can cut it out or avoid it. And then you should avoid smoking, indulge in regular physical activities, get good sleep. I've said it already. Try relaxation techniques with music. You have to be assertive. When something is worrying you, you should be able to speak out 
express yourself and your thoughts and opinions, but respecting the rights of others as well. You should be able to participate in recreational activities. When you are home, you should have fun with your children and your wife. You should be able to manage your time well, and you should eat balanced meal. When it comes to stress management, it's important to learn to forgive because sometimes the things we harbor inside, they stress us, but you will not know that that is what is stressing you. So it's important to forgive always, forgiving yourself and others. Some people hold, maybe they've done something. They can't let go of their past. The the guilt, they are holding on to it and it's sitting you up, it's causing you stress. It's important to cast all your cares on God and let go of the things that are causing stress. It is also important to overcome fatigue and tiredness and increase your energy by relaxation. Sometimes relaxation, my husband will tell you, is not sleep. It is you resting, just lying down, probably listening to some music or reading a book or something. It's not sleep. Then you should find peace of mind in positive affirmations. When we say positive affirmations, your ability to speak positive things to yourself. I am more than enough. I am more than a conqueror. I am the head. I am not the tail. You should learn to write your own positive affirmations down that you can recite them to yourself every morning. You'll be amazed at how exciting or how it will bring you excitement. And in all things, you have to learn to be happy and be content. And then you have to develop a likable and approachable attitude. All these things take a lot of stress off you. So in summary for stress management, meditation, it's like deep breathing exercises can help. Exercising by moving, probably doing even house chores or getting yourself moving is also important. Time in nature can be a form of relaxation where you can go to the beach, just sit down, enjoy the breeze, go to a garden, look at the trees, the plants, and all that. Sleeping well to be rejuvenated, and then connecting socially by having, maybe joining a club, you are in the choir, and all those things. It's important. And then eating well and reducing caffeine, and then making a list to prioritize your tax on daily basis can also take a lot of stress off you. When, in order for us to achieve a healthy lifestyle, we need a change of behavior. You cannot be forced or put under pressure to change your behavior. It has to be your own idea. It has to be your own decision. If I tell you all these facts, I cannot force you to change, except you yourself decide. And then no one can instill fear in you to change. So it's all about making up your mind. Some of the positive attitudes that will bring about change is having a routine. Having a routine. We have been created in such a way that we we are able to work well with routines. That is how the body has been created. So we must learn to have routine, the actions that can be followed regularly. We must be able to reinforce. Maybe you were doing it. Along the line, you stop. 
you have to reinforce it to bring back that change in behavior. You have to be able to recover, to regain your health, to bounce back. And then you have to be able to reframe some of the things that you go through, the things you tell yourself. It's not that I have to do this. Oh, so today too, I have to go to work. It's, it's necessary for me to go to work. So I get to go to work today to see my friends or to, you know, give back to society. You have to learn to tell yourself positive things. In conclusion, a healthy lifestyle is adding years to your life and life to your years. Living a healthy lifestyle is an individual responsibility and it requires a conscious effort which we must make on a day-to-day basis to maintain a lifelong of healthy lifestyle. The power is in your hands, so choose a healthy lifestyle. I'll give you a few quotes for you to ponder over. Love yourself enough to live a healthy lifestyle. Take care of your body. It is the only place that you have to live in. Prevention, they say, is better than cure. You cannot buy your health. You must earn it through healthy living. Thank you. Please, if there are any questions, I am ready to answer them. Please, is there anyone who has any question? No question. Yes, please. And I'm so grateful. But there's just one point you mentioned about ME, medical examination, yes, which is very important. And like um, you said, you mentioned that it should be yearly. That's good. But what you did not say is to give us some names of specialized hospitals. Because some of us coming from abroad, we have this phobia that Whenever we are, we, are, we are sick, we're not well, we fly back abroad because we have links with our doctors abroad because we think that they are better. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, thank you. That's better. Because we think that uh, we shall not get very good care here. So can you please recommend some specialized clinics that we could go to? Maybe not this time, maybe some other time. Okay, around um, West Hills, I'm not too sure of the hospitals around here, but basically every hospital should have a medical examination system that when you walk in and request for medical examination, it can be done for you. I know of Cocoa Clinic, I've worked there before. They run medical exams. You can go to Holy Trinity Hospital, it will be done for you. And then some of the government hospitals, which I, I think Rage, Kolebu, they all run these exams. But I prefer the private because 
we need a place where or where you think your records can be kept, where you think you can have one particular doctor attending to you to follow through your history. Uh -huh. So that is what I will recommend. So I prefer the smaller places instead of the bigger places, but the choice is yours. Some of you are with companies that you attend certain hospitals. It can be requested and done at those places too. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, please, I would like to find out you mentioned brisk walking, and um, like now in our generation where there is so much pressure, you wake up, you're on the go, and you hardly make time for exercise. Can you say brisk walking is more or less an alternative for any other activity at the gym or something of that sort? And then the second one too has to do with eating habits. Um, some of us come home very late, like now, you know, we are now trying to find something to eat. And then leaving home to you are not so good with breakfast. So you get to the office, you have to do what you have to do. You remember, oh, it's two. Okay, let me get something to eat. Sometimes maybe brunch. So how do you regulate that? Because often we are not conscious of it, and then it happens. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So with uh, the first one, if your lifestyle involves activity such that maybe you walk a lot in the office, you move about you are in a shop, you do a lot of walking, you are not just sitting down, you are good to go. But if you realize that you are living a sedentary lifestyle, that you happen to sit at one place for a very long time, at least if you sit down, every 30 minutes you should get up and walk about a bit. In my workplace, what we used to do is, because the doctors can sit and not get up, so we had a ball we used to pass around. We, we just come and put it on your table. It means get up and send it to another person. So that it reminds us that we need to get ourselves going. So if you are doing house chores, you are washing, you are cooking, then you are active during the day. You should be fine. But if you are involved in a sedentary lifestyle, you can make time to exercise. If going to the gym works for you, fine. If you know you can comply with it or you can be motivated to do it, then I would advise that you can go to the gym. But if you feel that you can squeeze time, maybe 30 minutes a day, even 20 minutes a day, just to walk. If some of us have big compounds in our homes, there's no need to go out and go and do any work. Just before you bath, you can pace around till you sweat and then you go and bath. Just to get your heart pumping and then be active. And then about the breakfast. Like I said, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. But due to a lot of uh, these weight loss programs that we are doing, sometimes we end up not eating in the morning. We say we are doing intermittent fasting. When it's month of emphasis and you are supposed to do your fast, you can do your fast. But if you are not fasting, it's important that between 6 and 8, you take your breakfast. There are uh, food vendors all around, you can make uh, uh, requests for them to bring you maybe breakfast or you are going to your work, you get some breakfast into your bag, immediately you get to work, you take it. The, the best would be to prepare your meals from home, which you know what you are putting in there, so you know what you are eating. Unlike outside, you don't know how they are preparing your food and all that. But if you are not eating on time, let's say you end up eating around two, 
you are also causing problems to your tummy. And at the end of the day, you may develop an ulcer, which will be another condition that you have to come and deal with. So we are talking about taking responsibility for our health. In as much as it may be difficult, it is important that we make that decision. So once we make that choice, we'll be able to find ways and means of being able to take breakfast, take lunch, and then take supper. Any other questions, please? Madam Della. Please, I want to find out, um, after eating, there are times that when you are done eating, you are feeling sleepy. So I, I want to find out, how long should you wait before you sleep? Because <laughs> there are times you are not active. Maybe you come from town, you are very tired, eat something, and then you feel like sleeping. So then should I walk around a little or sit? And then my second question is, I have a friend who says that fried yam is a snack. So I wanted to, I wanted to find out if fried yam is a snack because it's very light. So. Yeah, okay. So when you come back from work late and you have to eat, you can take something light. That is not the time to eat the bankun, the fufu, or the kenke, or the wache that you have brought from work. You can keep that one, warm it the following day and eat. But you can take something light, like a, a cup of tea with biscuits, something that will not make you feel too satisfied. And mind you, if you, don't, if you go to bed hungry, you may not be able to sleep. So it is important that you, you eat but don't eat too close to bedtime. So if you eat maybe something light, maybe an hour, you can go to bed. Yes, for like an hour, you can go to bed. So that is what I would say about eating. But as much as possible, we'll try not to eat late. Uh -huh. Then about the yam being a snack. Yam, when you fry it, has a lot of oil in it. It is no more a snack. We are talking about reducing the amount of calories that we are taking. There are foods that we can snack on, and they are supposed to be healthy foods. So they are supposed to be either vegetables or fruits. So please tell your friend that fried yam is not a snack. It is a whole meal. So she's eating meals, like whole meals during the day. Okay, so if possible, cut it out. It shouldn't be taken in the night because of the oils. Yes. I was thinking someone would ask me about keto diets. Is keto diet healthy? Keto diets. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of controversies concerning keto diets. I just want us to make healthy choices. And I don't think, some may disagree with me, but from where I stand, I don't think keto diet is the best because what happens is you end up taking so much fats, too much proteins, and then you put stress. You are not taking carbohydrate that will give you energy. You end up putting too much stress on your kidneys and your cholesterol level goes up. I have people who are ketoing and when they come to the workplace, their coronary risk is like 100% because the kind of high cholesterols they have, it's not easy to, you know, talk about it. So keto diet is not the best. 
what I will advise, if you want to do keto, you can do the modified keto diet, which has to do with adding a bit of carbohydrates to your diet. And it is one diet that is not sustainable. Okay, it's, it's, it's supposed to be a diet for epilepsy. It was created a diet that was supposed to help epileptic patients. But they realized that its side effect was weight reduction. And what causes you to burn the fat in keto is ketones. And ketones are toxin, toxic in the body. So at a certain level, they are toxins. So they are not supposed to be in your body. But with keto diet, it builds up in your body and then it starts feeding on your fats. So it's not something we should be practicing for a healthy lifestyle. Any other question? I assume there's no more questions. Thank you very much. I'm so grateful. Oh, shall we do it better for her? Yeah, God bless you. Thank you so much. I can see the time. <laughs> uh, but forgive us. Hallelujah. Forgive us. Sometimes you need to spend a little more time. Shall we take our offering quickly?